0: Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott, and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I am so glad you are here. Thank you so much for listening. Before I go any further, I do want to give a trigger warning. This episode is about loss. This may be for you right now. This may not be for you. It's okay. It's okay if you leave right now. And if you're here and you stay here, we really hope that this conversation serves you. Pete and I lost our soul dog unexpectedly a few weeks ago, and we wanted to have this conversation. In fact, we asked Makai to help us give the words to have this conversation that would serve you, whoever you are and whatever it is that you are going through. So we hope that our words serve and we hope that our words heal both us and you. And in the conversation, I mentioned that I've been rereading these mystery books about a private investigator who's a former Buddhist monk. And I read something in one of them that really helped me in this process. And I want to share it with you right now. Here we go. This is from the third rule of 10 by Gay Hendricks and Tinker Lindsay. If you hold others in the thought that they are victims, you rob them of their power. If you hold others as fully responsible for their own destiny, you ennoble them by treating them as equals. So this may pertain to grief or loss for you. This may pertain to something completely different, just how you see the world in general. But when we see people as victims, we take their power away. And when we see people as being responsible for their own destiny. We empower them. Again, I found that so helpful. And I noted that in this book, it's wisdom shared by Lama Tashi, which if you read my emails or read my blog, you know is very near and dear to my heart. The word Tashi, the name Tashi in Tibetan refers to light or greatness. And it is what I called myself before I called myself Kelsey. I used to say "Me Tashi." In other words, I was a little toddler walking around saying, I am light and I am light and you are light. And in times like this, like I am in right now, it can be harder to be in the light, to remember that I am light, to remember that it is all love. And these are the times... That, you know, we're cracked open and more light gets in, and we anchor deeper and deeper into the light. Or that's the choice we have, and that's the choice I'm making right now. This is an opportunity to anchor deeper into the light. I really hope this conversation is healing for you. I love you so much. Remember, you are a miracle. It is all unfolding for you. It is all love. Go forth and be awesome. So let's just start with a Mm check-in. How is your soul today?
1: My soul today is doing much better.
0: What color is it today?
1: Yellow. It's not quite orange and red joy, but it's yellow.
0: What does it feel like?
1: Lighter. It absolutely feels lighter.
0: Does it have a taste or a smell?
1: Mm, no. it just tastes chocolate, which is what I just <laughs> hate. <laughs> um, no, because I, I don't... Like, joy, for me, doesn't have a spectrum of taste and smell. It's interesting, because there's a spectrum for colors for joy for me. But, like, I can't be like... I mean, joy, we talked about it yesterday. Joy, for me, smells like um, uh, gardenia or whatever. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> plumaria. And so there's no, like, half joy smells like roasted pumpkin seeds or something like that. Um, what about you?
0: Well, I told you yesterday my soul felt like a newborn giraffe that was, like, trying to stand up. But falling down Mm -hmm. and sometimes just sitting there on the ground and other times very much standing up and getting footing but not being able to walk forward Mm -hmm. and kind of having this desire to run forward but that wasn't really working either yeah but today um today my soul feels lighter too And I would say mine is the color of light blue. In the so joy for me is also orange and pink, like Mm -hmm. magenta-ish. It's the color of sunrise. But today it feels light blue, like a blue sky. Mm. It's the color of hope.
1: It's interesting how light blue, when you think of it as the sky in a warm sunny day, can feel warm, whereas light blue in another context can feel cold. So. Yeah, it's a warm, context.
0: it's a warm hint of, it's like the blue
1: peeking through clouds. Mm-hmm. Kind of like an aspirational blue as opposed to a, like that dark blue where you realize that that's actually not sky. It's actually the underneath of a cloud that's super, super gray and dark. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's been a rough Couple of months. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of months. And how are you how are you moving forward? Like what what tools are you using?
1: What are you doing? I think moving forward is also an aspirational comment. Um, I don't think that I've managed to be moving forward the entire time.
0: Wait, I wanna rephrase that and I okay. think that's a good call out for me moving forward is just simply today is a new day like mm. the calendar is moving forward therefore we are moving forward as right. much as like it may or may not be active
1: yeah and sometimes you feel like you go many days without actually making any progress in terms of and
0: yet look at that it's friday and a couple of days ago was tuesday therefore yeah, so i moved forward.
1: forward okay moving forward through time rather than necessarily through grief or something
0: yeah
1: um I don't know. I think talking is helping. Certainly talking things out with you and sharing um, sharing when things click in the brain is, is really helpful because it's, I mean, I think we even had an experience earlier on today where like shared an observation and we both had the same comment that the act of actually saying what that thought was and how it landed for us let stuff loose like it it, it kind of helped move things forward in a more kind of grief process rather than like yes time did take forward um i don't
0: think you have to be quite so vague i mean i don't want to get into the details but I, what you said earlier what you're referring to is the recognition that things the this the while well, there is trauma mm-hmm. in this loss there is a whole lot of trauma we talked about first of all how we we have to move through grief we have to process the grief but the trauma feels like something to be released
1: and we felt that the trauma was anchoring like it was it was acting as an anchor that was allowing us to make only so much progress with processing the grief part
0: Right, and um, that today's recognition or realization or epiphany or whatever was that, oh, this actually did happen in the best way possible for us. It could have been so
1: much worse. I think, and I I want to be careful about that it could have been so much worse because I think that's often used as a way to minimize people's trauma and grief, being like, well, there's, they're always starving in Ethiopia kind of thing when we were all growing up. Um the way I saw, saw it was trauma lay in all of the options, like all of the paths forward from those points, the decision points that we are making. I think, I think the realization I had was that there was no path that did not involve trauma. And to kind of build on your comment, trauma at the scale that we experienced. So it's not like, well, obviously there's trauma in the world no matter where you go, it depends on how, But it's I feel like every path forward from the decision points that we feel we have and we keep revisiting through the grief process, there was trauma across all of those and that realization meant that it almost it almost helped neutralize the trauma, it started allowing me to let go of the trauma, in fact, I let go of a huge chunk of it, just when we were talking about it this morning because part of, I think, what causes trauma to be so anchoring in the grief process is, from what it feels like to me, is that, well, what if, you know, if we had done X, if we had decided Y, would we have been able to avoid this trauma? And, and that's a really challenging thing to keep revisiting in the dark middle of the night hours. Um, and I think that was the realization that that helped trigger both of our, you know, kind of releasing some of that trauma this morning was like trauma lay in every single path. Yeah. No matter the outcome.
0: And I, I wanna shout out to Meg on this front too, cause she helped me so much in, as when the, the questioning, what first came up mm-hmm. for me, she was like, that's your ego. That's your mm-hmm. ego trying to say, what could I have done? How could I have controlled this? Mm-hmm. When it wasn't for us to control. And just knowing that for me... Yeah. ...weeks ago helped tremendously.
1: Well, I think this is one of those things that... that One of those lessons, to be more specific. That everyone has to keep relearning. Because the number one thing that we were told from literally day one was we did everything that we could... We made all the right choices based on the information we had. Like there's nothing we could have done differently. Like everyone from our vet to our families, to our friends, to our support network, everyone was saying that. And it didn't do anything to release the trauma, right? So this is a known challenge. um, Whenever you are in a position where there are active choices to make and those choices led to trauma. I mean, I think it's inevitable. And the, the logical, I mean, the logic helped me get through those first days. It was very comforting to hear that, but it didn't help chip away at the anchor That was the trauma. Um, and I think that. I just want
0: to clarify. You just said the anchor that was the trauma, right? Not the anger. No,
1: the anchor. Yes. As referencing how I was feeling, it was anchoring us in the grief process and not allowing us to kind of proceed In a more natural kind of flow, just drifting with the grief. Um, So I I think that I think that people on the outside who often have a great deal more clarity than the person who's going through the stuff. As much as they don't know everything and they don't know like the full story and the full context and aren't aren't able to go through the grief process for you. But like that is the obvious. That's obvious to everyone that that's what you're going to get hung up on. And so I'm trying to help you not get hung up on it by, you know, jumping the gun and saying it, it wasn't your fault. And I think that's helpful at the logical level, but I still think that um, it, it really has been almost a month now where it's taken me that long to internally accept that trauma lay on all those paths. And so therefore, you know, you got to go back to, well, I wish none of it happened. Well, yeah, it's that's, that's great, but that's not my choice. That's not your choice. There was no decision tree um, involved with embarking on this part of the journey.
0: Yeah, I just wanted I don't know, notice that you just said it's taken almost a month. And I think its it's interesting, our impression of time right now, mm-hmm. it feels, a month feels like it has taken such a long time, and yet it's been so little time. And there's the external expectations that, like, okay, you over it? You all better now? Mm-hmm. You got your sparkle back?
1: Uh, yeah. No. Well, I almost say a month in relation to the two hours that it took my brain to logically accept that we did the best we could, right? And so it's, it's the month being a long time, you are absolutely right, it's not a lot of time. Like it's not very, like I mean, it is a long time, it's not a long time, I mean, time is almost meaningless in this process um, because it's so individual. But I, I'm comparing it to the logical side of me that was, yep, got it, understood. Looked at the data, crunched the numbers, make the same choices again if we had to do it all over again and the body part of me being like yeah that that math doesn't make any sense to me I'm you know doing it in colors and it's you know it's taken that long and it's, it's not like it's done and the, like the anchor is gone it's it's just it's lighter the boat's drifting a bit more now which is a good thing
0: yeah so back to the first question I mm-hmm. asked you how are you I forget how I phrased it before I was just trying to find those words which was never gonna work how are you healing what are you doing how are you being to bring yourself to where you feel better
1: I think it. I don't know and I think it's like when we touched on this conversation, this topic last night as we were doing our walk, I mean, a, an easy answer is that, that walk through Oscar Sheer State Park. It's a, either a two or three mile loop, although that's a generous measurement for the actual distance that we're doing at night. It's a walk we used to do with Mackay. We, we do that every night, you know, rain, shine, no matter what we're out there, unless it's actively lightning and dangerous because it's, it's, you know would not be safe in a lightning storm um i i watch you and what seems like your approach in finding the joy and listening to your body and i think i'm taking a much more cerebral approach to it and i don't know if that is just how I'm wired, or if that's just the habit and the behavior that I am more comfortable with, as opposed to listening to my body.
0: Wait, what makes you think you're taking a more cerebral approach to
1: it? Because I'm thinking my way through it. Like I'm thinking my way into, oh, there was trauma down all of those paths. Oh, level up in the grief process, right? There was no, like you described feeling things in your body and things in my body but not at like I feel you're processing it through your body I'm processing it through my mind and trying to work on better mind body connections to listen to my body um, I mean we talked about finding the joy right so what are we what are we doing to cultivate joy
0: wait I up. want to back up, <laughs> to back up? <laughs> because I find that interesting because I am processing it through my body and my mind and in s- there have been so many times that I've found, wow, my mind is way too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cannot go there. I cannot live there mm-hmm. right now. And so I've dropped into my body and my body's felt safe. But then there's like, I did this breath work session with Kyle over the weekend and the workout I did the day after that, I was able to get into my body at a deeper level than I have been for the last month. And it feels like I released some trauma in that breathwork session and that allowed me to get into my body. So yeah, I'm processing it through my body. And I think it's kind of comes back to the open Ajna, like don't go in your mind alone. It's way too dangerous to be there. As you can put things in your files and I can just spiral and swirl and, and holy cow, it is not safe. And
1: that's why I think we handle it differently. Like I we've had that conversation where I have helped you out of your mind because I'll take the files that you have no place to hide them to put them and hiding sounds negative as if you're like squelching them, but like to sort them and and get them off your desktop, your metaphorical desktop. Um, And I'm like, yeah, I got a whole filing system here. File it, code it, put it away, reference it later, do it logically, you know, so that's where I can help you and you've been able to help me by pulling it into my body, pulling me into my body and being able to process stuff, at least with assistance from my body because even though my brain is not nearly as a scary place for me as yours is for you it still is a really sharp tool that is only suited for a part of this process um, and if i start trying to use it for the whole thing like uh, it's gonna cause damage so it's i i just think that i'm more i mean we've we've talked about this before i am much more comfortable thinking my way through stuff than having things fall into my body and part of that's my human design and part of its conditioning it's part of it's just that's worked for the first 43 years and so it's really hard to um change that pathway um yeah
0: all right so now back to cultivating joy
1: yeah i want to ask you that question because you're doing you're doing more of that and i think that
0: more of the cultivating joy the
1: cultivating joy so how are you i mean I, I can i can pre-load the question by saying when you asked me that a couple of days ago i said i was struggling with it because makai was such an easy source of joy for me that i'm kind of like well i don't know how to cultivate joy that is not like oh i need some joy i'm going to go snuggle with makai on the sofa So how are you cultivating joy?
0: So it's as I mentioned to you last night, I feel like this is the first time I've ever had to cultivate joy. Mm -hmm. I've never had to like plant the seeds and watch them grow and water them and all of that. Joy has always – I do believe that joy is our natural state, Mm -hmm. always. And I I can feel it in me, but it's like I can't access it. I've accessed it looking at pictures of Makai – I've accessed. I mean, in the first week, we ended up watching a funny movie that actually had us both laughing out loud, and I think that was really helpful. But now I find it in in little things, like I got really excited and inspired to make granola, and it was really good, and that that sparked some joy. Yeah. And then I um I painted my toenails and I painted them bright orange in an attempt. To cultivate joy so that every time I looked down at my toes, I would feel joy. And then because it's really hot here, when we went running four, five, maybe even six hours after I had painted my toenails, my sto- my socks glued themselves to my big toes. So I redid it with pink. So I've got alternating like hot pink and orange now on my toes. And that's like an oh, okay, wait, we need to amplify the joy. Mm-hmm. And it works. Every time I see my toes, I do feel a spark of joy. Um, Yesterday, I ate a passion fruit, and that brought me joy. So I'm realizing that I'm speaking, as I'm speaking, that I'm telling you how I'm cultivating joy in my body. Mm -hmm. How I cultivate it in my mind right now. Mm -hmm. Joy doesn't live in our minds. Mm -hmm. So I have to be
1: cultivating it in my body. I think that what you just said highlights, you know, since I've been so brain first, thinking first, logic first in, in this whole approach, since joy lives in our body, I, when I have tried to cultivate joy, it's been thinking my way to cultivate joy. And the problem is, as I mentioned earlier, Makai is such a huge source of joy. So I go thinking about that. And instead of it being a source of joy, it just rapidly becomes a source of sadness. So I find it, like, I think for the last couple of weeks, I found it very hard to find the joy. And that's translated into, you know, uh, an afternoon just being like, I can't, I can't. So I'm just going to go sit on the couch and chill out like I didn't even want to watch movies which is a profound departure from normal behavior um I just kind of chilled out because I couldn't I couldn't motivate I couldn't find the joy in anything and I think it was an interesting question when you asked me that because I realized I'd been not cultivating joy in my body um but trying to cultivate joy through my head and I don't I just don't know if that's possible in its truest form. Um, I mean, you can certainly think yourself joyful thoughts and that has worked from time to time. But I think that's where I keep running into trouble is that I'm trying to cultivate joy through a path that is not, you know, is not the natural joy. It's like a, you know, artificial joy. Um,
0: You did seem to feel joy the day after you had had that dream where you got to connect with mankind. Yes.
1: Well, and that was, you know, that was an example of that was, I mean, technically it was in my brain because it was a dream. But, like, it was a a body. Like, it was an experience. It wasn't a thought. um. And there's, you know, going out and sitting in the ground. Like, there are things, like connecting with nature. That's, what's, that's what brings joy from the walks in Oscar sure. I mean, we even said um how nature is still a very strong connector for us to joy like we like being in nature we like being feeling grounded um you know it's just that the challenge is so much of like connecting to nature here like going and sitting in the grass well that was grass time with makai and that's got its own kind of weight that it bears um but yeah, like it's it's something that I've admired in what you're doing and I'm I'm just kind of curious because you've never really had to do it before. It's always been there. I wonder I wonder if that means people who have a practice of cultivating joy may find it easier in you know, because they have the practice of actually having to cultivate. So if they find themselves in grief, like it's just a it, it probably will be harder for them than in, during normal times, but they they, they kind of have the steps to follow. Whereas you maybe it took you a while to figure out, oh, like I have to actively pursue this. I can't just.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting. And who knows what the answer is. But it also made me think that there are other things that we've been doing that we always do. Mm-hmm. Like, as you mentioned, the walks, our connection with nature and talking to all the bunnies and thanking Mm -hmm. the deer and watching the gopher tortoises. Scramble away. Speed away. away, Yes. Um, And then we do check in with our top three things on a regular Mm -hmm. basis. And that's like, these are the tools that help people on the day to day basis, like see the joy, see the magic around them and
1: it's true there is like we did have a practice for that and i just kind of i do take some of that for granted um even cooking together like that's that's a time that we connect and that's a time that we do often bring up you know top three things um yeah it's it's it is true that there are elements of what we do on a day-to-day basis that that are highlighting and focusing on the joy in that sense and
0: moving our bodies as much i've told you that all i don't even know if it was last week or but i kind of dragged myself to every workout Mm -hmm. i didn't want to do it and i found myself kind of counting down like okay one set down you can suck it up like come on you know Actually, I never told myself to suck it up. Mm-hmm. I don't use that language with myself, but kind of like, all right, ten minutes in, just keep doing, just another ten minutes, and another ten minutes, and another ten minutes, which is very unlike me. Mm-hmm. Usually, whether I'm biking or running or swimming, I'm like all in, completely present in it, and it's exactly where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I hadn't felt that again until Sunday. Mm-hmm. I felt it for like. No, I pretty much felt it for the whole workout.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that and that I think like everything kind of feels harder to motivate to do. Like the things that were fun before are not necessarily fun now. And I think some of those, I mean, we even talked about it, some of them are a an honest reassessment of whether or not something lights me up. And other things are like, well, yeah nothing's gonna you know it's gonna be it's really hard for something to light you up so don't necessarily judge everything long term based on the the experience and feeling now which is i think why the universal um advice of like you don't make any big decisions in the midst of grief like got it you know
0: yes and we're also just like in this huge in between right now because like wow universe just sent a huge pivot into our plan we've known This whole year, we've known we're moving. We Mm -hmm. just don't know where we're moving.
1: Mm -hmm. Or
0: specifically when. Yeah. Because we don't know where. (laughs) And we had this urgency earlier in the year. I felt the urgency Mm -hmm. earlier in the year. You didn't feel it. Now we're both feeling it. And again, we have no idea. Like, absolutely. No, no. Okay, wait. We do have a clue. We know that it's not the west coast of Florida. Mm -hmm. We're 90% sure it's somewhere in the southeastern United States.
1: But even that, who knows? Trees. I'd like trees. Real earth. Um, It's true. I mean, you know, it's... And part of that is we had talked about how anchoring, in a different sense now, Makai was to our joy and our sense of home. And so much of that is being redefined now. Um and so that's, that's like basically open season on all of the assumptions, like where we live, like what we do, all this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. We, we spent 16 months traveling around the country in a camper, the three of us. Mm-hmm. And because the three of us were together, we always felt like we were home. Yeah. Now we're in this house, in this place where we've said, we basically feel like we're, we just upgraded to a much bigger camper. Yeah and without makai we're like hold up this is not home yeah
1: and and i think it's important to acknowledge that without makai it's possible that nowhere would feel like home yeah i mean i acknowledge that but i also feel like he allowed us to feel more at home in a place that otherwise wouldn't have felt like home um and i think it's a it, that's part of the process. That's part of this redefining. I mean, I think in one of the grief books that that friends gave us, there was a comment about um, rediscovering your identity. And both of us balked at that. We were like, we are still who we are. Our identity wasn't, you know, um, it's not like our identity was dog owner and now we're no longer dog owner. So therefore our identity has, has to change. But I do see that as a jumping off point to get to somewhere useful in thinking of like yeah what you define as home has changed because you know what we define as our pack has changed because uh, you know the the challenge that i the analogy i used when describing this to family friends and and how hard it was in the in the opening weeks is that we've had a three-part dance because we both work from home pretty much always been with us right by our side. So whether in a camper, whether in Maine, whether down here, um, even when we're, you know, go visit your parents, go visit my family with, with Makai, there's always a three part dance. And so now one of those dance, like a third of the dance partners in our pack is no longer here dancing actively with us. And that means the dance has to change and In that sense, I can see, I can understand what they may have been getting at with, like, your identity will change. But who I am isn't changing. It's just that that first interaction with someone outside of myself, i.e. you and Makai, that obviously has changed. The dynamics have changed.
0: Yeah. And just to touch on that dance example. I don't feel like we're stepping all over each other's feet now because there's only two of us. I think no. that... I don't know how to say it other than I am so grateful for you.
1: Yeah, I... I there is no path through this um, that is anywhere close to where I'm at without you helping and supporting. I mean, we've been so fortunate that when either of us is at a low point the other i'm not going to say is at a high point but is not at a low point so we've been able to be supporting for each other when each other needs it and not been like dude i'm at the bottom of the barrel too like i don't have anything to give you because i don't have anything for myself um we've even commented on and I don't know if this is useful or not for other people to know, but like there's times when I've been crying and, and you're like there and supporting and then saying, and just so that you know, like I'm really sad too. Like it looks like I've got my shit together right now, but I'm struggling too, but I, I'm just not struggling quite as much as you right now. And I think particularly in the instance of, of a couple sharing in a grief, I think that communication is super helpful because even with that, we've both talked about stories and assumptions that come through of like, oh, I'm really jealous. Like you seem to have your shit together. Why am I still struggling? And it just kind of depends on the time of day and the day of the week, whether or not it's you thinking that thought or me thinking that thought. And the reality is it's just how fortunate we are to, have, to each be going through this slightly off cycle from one another so that we can support each other so that like one of us can take the lead cooking and and doing stuff and you know hugging the other when they're crying like it's it's super fortunate but i think in the absence of that communication i think there are stories that can creep in about like what the other person's going through or seemingly not going through and all a whole host of stories that can build off that
0: yeah, I can't imagine what this would be like without open communication and constantly checking in with each other and just
1: being like, okay, "How are you?" Yeah. right now. And and it like being a legitimate question and I don't know, being a legitimate answer or shitty or pretty good actually. Like because yeah. there's no judgment. There's no judgment in where the person's at. Because you know, otherwise if there's judgment then you start getting false answers. Like, I'm fine. I mean we we laugh at that answer and use it as a like shorthand for just like that. Yeah, no no, it's fine. It's fine. Basically.
0: And basically that's what we use when everything is just going it's wrong. Just, <laughs> it's all fine. It's all fine. Oh, that's great. It's all fine. My arm's stuck in the Sto- cabinet. Stove's but... on fire. It's fine.
1: It's good. And and I think, but I think that's, that's key. Like, because it allows you to gen when someone asks you that question genuinely, and we were, we were trying to figure out when, when neighbors would ask. Neighbors that we don't necessarily have a huge connection to, you know, that kind of universal, hey, how are things going? Like, how do you answer that? I think I came back home from the grocery store being like, well, I lied 10 times. You did.
0: And then you had the experience with that one neighbor and you answered better yeah and he was like oh you're glad the run is done and you're like yeah technically i
1: didn't like yeah we were looking for ways to answer truthfully and yet acknowledge that there is a social expectation one that's not you know one that's not ill-placed that they don't actually want to know and so that was where the better because that was truthfully like i'm, I'm doing better now and yeah he, he interpreted it as the the run was done. All right, that's fine. I know I answered truthfully. Um, if I'd answered fine, I would have felt guilty because I'd be lying. Mm-hmm. And if we stopped and I started bawling, I don't think he'd ever have asked that again. Like he just would have been like, it would have been one of those interactions where he'd just turn around and walked the other way on the road because <laughs> we passed him just as we finished a run. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that open communication between us and figuring out how to hedge the interactions with the rest of the world. I mean, I think it's important. We have a bunch of friends who, who do ask and we answer completely genuinely. And it's like, I
0: believe we just got a text from one of
1: them as we're recording, as we're recording (laughs) and, and like you're checking in and you just realize how important it is to check in. And if, if you don't, we even have had this conversation. It's the people who check in and ask, and then you answer. Oh, like, you know, thank you so much for reaching out. It's been all horrible week. Like, it's been really rough. Time. And then there's nothing. You're like, well, why'd you ask? There's ways to check in with people, and I think this, this is a public service announcement. There are ways when you when you are thinking when a friend or a family member is going through grief, and you don't have the space to hold space for them if they answer in the worst case scenario then then there are ways to ask or there's ways to not ask but just to be supportive but I think you described like someone being like hey sending you love just thinking just thinking about you right now that's not asking how are you doing so you're you're not asking how are you doing and then when the person says shitty you're not like whoa I don't I, I don't have I can't Sorry, and you're shutting them down. You're just saying, hey, so you're supporting, you're sending love, you're 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 kind of just like, hey, I'm just thinking of it. you guys, hope you guys are doing okay. And just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I think that communication which allows for an honest, genuine reflection, checking in of like, Yeah, how am I doing?
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Better today, worse today, neutral, weird, I'm like You know, whatever it is, because I think that that checking in with oneself is is an important part of like you pause. It's the opposite of the numbing that we so often do with like, all right, you know, work is good because work takes my mind off the grief. I understand how that's necessary because it's a lot to process. And we even talked about how the shift from like the first week of the deep pain as it shifts into sadness is in some ways us just getting better at just taking a ladle out at a time rather than having the whole barrel like land on us. And so there's a pr- there's part of like you got to manage. You got to manage the flow on your own. And if that requires a little bit of numbing either through work or through watching funny you know rom coms, then then do it. So long as you are still also checking in and giving that opportunity to allow the process to continue.
0: And also checking in and with yourself being like, am I numbing right now? Am I and I mentioned that I was doing that. I've been rereading these books that I like about a Buddhist, former Buddhist monk, now private investigator. And I was like, Am I am I reading this to numb? And what I realized instead is actually I'm getting exactly what I need. I'm getting such deep wisdom from these books. And with that recognition also came the realization that, or admitting that I don't like books that tell me, that should all over me. Mm -hmm. I already knew that. But what I do love is books that they're designed to tell a story Mm -hmm. and it's through the story that the wisdom comes through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's an important, and even if the answer was yes, yes, you're numbing. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay. And do I want to be doing this? Yep. Okie doke perfect i mean there's no there's no wrong way to go through this as long as it's a as long as it's a conscious choice like what you're doing is a conscious choice
0: i think one of the things we have noticed in reading about grief and in my i think both of us looked for grief meditations Mm -hmm. and a lot of it at least what i found was a lot of giving people permission to be sad. Right. And that was in the meditations and that was certainly in reading about grief. And I think that says a lot about how fucked up our society is. Yes. And also that is not at all what I have needed. I, I'm feeling my feelings. I'm giving myself permission to be sad. And f- so that's why I ended up creating a meditation that, will air at some point mm-hmm. if for anyone who needs it cuz for me it's that the sadness the pain is so profound that I don't need to give myself permission to feel it I need right. it to like drop into my breath.
1: Right. You need to need to you need to help processing it rather than like permission that it's okay that you are sad. And I I agree. I think I think a lot of the resources that we've come across um provide more insight into how our culture doesn't do well with grief and doesn't I mean there's no amount of um, preparation or experience that's going to make grief any less raw and painful. Um, I do say that, and we've talked about this, there are, Milestones and guideposts that were established when I lost my dad and I went through that grief that I am seeing again in a different form um, because no two grief, no two grieving processes are the same, regardless of who's involved. Um, but I, I've like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember this. I remember going through something like this when my dad died, and that's super helpful for me because I remember one of the biggest challenges going through grief for my dad, which was the first really profound loss. I'd lost, you know, grandparents, but it was more, you know, um, less less direct, less nuclear family loss. And I remember being challenged and confused by the cyclical nature. Of grief, how you can take two steps forward and then you take three steps back and then take four steps forward and then take two steps back. Like you're you're kind of constantly, you know, the ups are always getting a little bit higher, but the and the lows are always getting a little bit higher, but you still have highs and lows. And I remember that the feel of it was different from time to time. And so as I go through many of the same periods maybe not in the same order, maybe not in the same duration, but some of the same feelings, I have that to be like, this is, this is mildly familiar. Um, I know I've been here before. And so therefore, since I know I've been here before, I know it ends. I know I can get through it. And I think that aside though, uh, um, I think th- there's, there's a profound um, failing that our culture has around grief when the starting point for people like for adults who have lost loved ones is here's your permission slip to feel sad and it's like, oh Christ. As you said, oh my god, I was like, like, is that where we're at? Like as a as a people, as a culture, is that we're not we don't even know that we are allowed to be sad. Um, I mean I think particularly for this book was specifically about pets and has spent a lot of time explaining that grief is tied to the depth of the emotions of the relationship, not, well, it's a family dog versus that's a human or, you know, that's your sibling versus your parent or your grandparent. Like, it's all about the depth of the relationship, and in many ways, dogs in particular, like that's unconditional love. Like there's no complexities in that relationship. There's no, you know, long periods where you weren't talking kind of thing. Um, So yeah, I, I I do feel like there is a lot of work we need to do culturally to get up to what I feel is a good starting point for everyone to start approaching their each new grief path which is a unique experience in and of itself. But the starting point should be a lot higher than where a lot of people do start with their grief, I think, um, given that they do seem to be requiring to be told, like, it's okay to feel your feelings.
0: Yeah. And to, we the other thing we've talked about is how on bearable I imagine it would be to not be able to connect with his energy Mm -hmm. to not believe to to not know that he's still with us Mm -hmm. energetically he's just in a different form to believe that we were like totally cut off I I have no words Mm -hmm. for how much harder it would be if, if I believed that. But to be able to, when I connect with him in meditation and I can actually feel, I can feel his body touching mine when I am able to have conversations with him, mm-hmm. those, those bring me joy.
1: Well, and, and like people talk about how we carry the ones we've lost with us. And regardless of how woo woo one is or not, that connection is just as real as anything else. I mean, if someone, if I say this, you know, me talking to you in this room right now, you're still filtering it through your ears and it's a bunch of electrical impulses that your brain is interpreting as reality. So, how is that any different than? anything else I mean it's all a perception of reality so I think that connection a hundred percent has the ability to stay to to survive beyond you know someone's death I mean obviously Makai's physically not here and we've talked about how it's one thing to feel the energy and it's another thing to be like my my soul feels connected my body feels like it's got the short end of the stick because my body is what it wants to sit down with him and like pet him and touch him and like snuggle with him. And yeah, yeah that's not possible. My
0: it's the, the healing of the soul. The soul is like, this is perfect. Yeah, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. This was all in the contract. This he's going to be able to guide you so much more yeah. from this new position. And it's our human that is in full resistance and rejection. And this is very much not
1: okay. This is not safe. This is not okay. And I think that's an important, I think that's an important distinction to make because I think in very early on, like a lot of the conversations we were having, the conversations we were having with, you know, Meg, with Emma, with our vet, um, were in some ways feeding the soul and and couldn't do anything for the human and so there was initial you know if you look at it as a graph there was initial big departure where the soul recovered very quickly in the first you know day or whatever time you want to call it and the body like made no progress and then that meant that in those first opening days was the biggest gap between soul healing and body healing and i think that if you don't acknowledge those two paths that you are setting yourself up for a much harder time to really understand what's going on and really accept and give space for yourself and space for someone else
0: and that gap is our separation from the light Mm -hmm. and our invitation to come back to the light Mm -hmm. and as that song that absolutely breaks my heart says that's where the light comes in in those cracks Mm
1: -hmm. and I mean that's I think we so often focus on the human part of the grief process, and we don't acknowledge. I mean, you have to you have to focus on both of them, basically, because it's it's both parts, and it's it's, you know, the human and the soul will always have gaps. Um, but I do think that that understanding, I think that is in some ways why people can see the joy you know, the joy can break through, and and that was something else that was, I, I found an interesting thing in the books that we were reading, and the guides that we were reading, being like, it's okay to find the joy in the world around, like the world around you still has joy in it, and, and it's okay to smile, it's okay to laugh, and I think that's really important for people to understand, because I think that can be very difficult to remember, but if you think about you know this kind of dual path that we're on then it's a much easier to understand i mean there was no joy period full stop in the first little bit until our soul started healing and then there was joy and then there was a snap back to our human when our human was like there is no joy and the soul was like yes like this is fine and so that that tension, I think, is one of the things that makes it very hard in the initial days because you—that's where the guilt comes in. Because the human feels guilt, because the human's like, "There is no joy. How are you smiling? How are you laughing?" And the soul's like, because this is just part of the, this is just part of the process. Um, and I think that that to acknowledge that, to highlight that, to for people to be aware of that, um, and to be able to check in, well, where's my soul? Where's my human? Where's, you know how is that gap how is that tension informing how i'm thinking or how i'm feeling i think is an important part of the process because otherwise i think people get very confused um i know i it challenged me this time and it challenged me before when my dad died and i didn't even have these tools to kind of compare it was just grief um then
0: you are so wise (laughs) I'm totally serious. You really are so wise. And especially in conversations around grief, I'm in in awe of your wisdom.
1: Thank you. I hope that there are people who are listening to us right now who find help in the goings on and the blatherings that I am putting into this podcast.
0: The Uh, words. Is there anything else that we should cover?
1: I don't think so. I think this went much farther afield than what we were thinking about, but I think that was a good thing. It just happened organically and naturally. Um, Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think we've covered the important bits. I love you so much. Love you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode served you. And if there's anyone else who needs to hear this conversation, please share it with them. My my goal is to spread ripples of light across the planet, to spread ripples of light and love across the planet. And I can't do that by myself. If these words helped, to heal you, please spread that healing through this episode, through sharing your own takeaways of the episode, whatever feels right for you. And as always, you can connect with me at kelseyabbott.com. Come visit my website. My email address is in the show notes. You can reach out to me there or just use the contact me form at kelseyabbott.com. And of course, book your human design reading there as well. I love you so much. May today be filled with love and joy and ease and play and magic and miracles. May you experience wonder and awe. I love you. Go forth and be awesome.